0: Well, I hope you all had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving um, and you enjoyed the time with your family. I did actually this year take over the turkey duty. So I cooked the turkey for the Thanksgiving dinner. Might have slightly undercooked it. If I'm being totally honest with you, there's a little bit of pink in there. Uh, not the whole turkey, but just around the sides, around the thighs and, and everything. Uh, everyone survived. Nobody died. And anyway, rare turkey is a delicacy in some parts of the world, I assume. And I know that that if you listen to this show on, on Wednesday, the day the day before the holiday started, uh, you might say that, well, hey, Matt, you, you went on this whole spiel on Wednesday about the proper way to prepare a Thanksgiving meal. And you said that if you're a dictator of the world, you're going to execute people who don't properly, you know, incorrectly make a Thanksgiving meal. And then you go and undercook your turkey. What's that all about? Well, yes. But again, as I always stress, and I'm very clear about this, there is one rule for me. And another rule for everybody else. I do not hold myself to the same standard that I hold other people to. Okay? So, and, and I'm, I'm up front. I'm honest about that. So I don't see what the big deal is. Putting that to the side, I do have one other thing I wanted to say in reference to the, the holiday uh, before we move on. And because I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little uh, upset about something. And you could call me sentimental. You could call me old-fashioned. Guilty as charged. Okay? But I am very troubled by the fact that there were hardly any stampedes or tramplings on Black Friday this year. We're talking about one of the great American traditions. One of the great American traditions is, as you know, people descending upon big box retailers at 5 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving to beat each each other to death over cheap electronics. It's something that back in my day, growing up as a kid, it's something that you did as a family. It was a family activity. I'll never forget the first time I saw my grandmother drop kick a woman uh, over a food processor that was 65% off. And we all have that special memory, right? Um, growing up. And we all have the special memory of the first time that we ourselves committed a felony uh, at a Best Buy. And, and in fact, a kind of a sweet story for me, uh, and I tell this all the time, but I, I remember my first time I strangled a man to death with an extension cord um, and did get the TV out of his hands after that. Did nine years in prison for it. But I mean, this is just, it, it, I don't know. It was a tradition. It was a, tr- you know what it was? It was a tradition that helps you kind of recalibrate, refocus after all the stuff about gratitude on Thanksgiving and, and all of that, being content and happy. Y- you were able to, to, to get that out of your system and remember that the accumulation of material things is the point of life, and it's what gives life meaning. So it wasn't just a tradition. It was, it was, there was something real behind it, you know. But in, in recent years, there's just been a lot less of that. And then this year, eh, there was a brawl here and there. I saw a few videos, but um, a few arrests, but it, it's, just, it's not like it used to be. Everyone just orders their stuff on Amazon. And so, yeah, you still have the materialism that's alive and well, and that's good. But we totally miss out on the bloodlust and the violence. And uh, I'm sorry, maybe I'm stuck in the past, but it's just not the same. That's my, that's my thing. Okay. Uh, traditionalist. I've always, I've always been that way. I guess all we can do, though, is, uh, is move on. Much to discuss on this Monday, including a surprising and inspiring—actually inspiring—I'm switching out of sarcasm mode now. So now we're into um, there's a there's a actually inspiring moment in a college football game on Saturday. An inspiring moment that, of course, also uh, upset plenty of people on the left as they tend to get upset about things, especially good things. So we'll talk about that. But first, a word from Ancestry DNA. It's really hard to overstate the importance of knowing where you come from, knowing your history. I think maybe in times past, people were more connected to their past. They knew more about it. It's just there was a more direct and explicit line between the, where you are now and, and, and where your family was. But these days, the past can tend to feel, well, distant. And that's where Ancestry DNA comes in to connect you with your past and with your family. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you come from, but it also can pinpoint the specific regions within them, giving you insightful geographic detail about your history. You can trace the paths of your recent ancestors, uh, learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. From discovering origins in over 500 regions to the most, uh, to the most connections to living relatives, no other DNA test delivers such a unique and interactive experience. Only Ancestry DNA uses the world's largest family history database to give a deeper and more detailed family, uh, family story, DNA story. You can combine what you learn from your DNA with over 100 million family trees and billions of records, and that will give you even more insight into your history. So you can save big on Ancestry DNA with holiday special pricing, and you can spark meaningful conversations around the holiday dinner table. Give the gift that can unwrap their history. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Matt to get your Ancestry DNA kit on sale today. That's Ancestry.com slash Matt. Ancestry.com slash Matt. All right. The great Ohio State running back, uh, J.K. Dobbins, had another big game on Saturday against Michigan. And then uh, towards the end of the game, wasn't a very interesting game. It It was kind of a blowout. But the most interesting thing that happened was towards the end of the game, the announcer, Gus Johnson, surprised everybody with uh, an anecdote, the kind of anecdote you don't hear very often in football games, um, an anecdote about Dobbins and his mother. Well, just take a listen to this. 211 yards rushing. What does this kid not do? He's churning the clock out in between the tackles, and then bam, lightning on the outside. The explosiveness to go down, and then up and over the top to put that ball over the goal line for a touchdown. What a day for J.K. Dobbins. Absolute dominant performance from Dobbins and this offensive line. J.K. Dobbins' mom, Maya, became pregnant when she was 18 years old. She went to the doctor because she was thinking about aborting the baby, but changed her mind. That baby turned out to be that young man, J.K. Dobbins, who she calls her miracle baby. Now, as you might expect, some people on the left were uh, watching this game and didn't like that that story was shared. And they expressed frustration on social media, and that's actually how I first heard about it. Was people complaining about it? Uh, I watched part of the game as it aired, but I missed that moment originally when it when it was uh, when it happened. There was an accusation that Gus Johnson uh, was intruding on the privacy of Dobbins and his mother, sharing something that wasn't meant to be shared. wasn't his place to share. But I think we can be pretty sure that if Guns, Gus Johnson knows about this detail, it's because. She shares it openly and isn't embarrassed about it. And why should she be? Why should she be embarrassed? No reason to be embarrassed. She chose life. And now her son has grown into a man that she's extremely proud of. And it's a wonderful story. And this really shows, I think, when you look at this and the uh, two different reactions to it from the pro-abortion, and pro-life side... It shows the, the poverty of the pro-abortion side, I think. I don't mean the economic poverty. I mean the intellectual and moral poverty. Because pro-lifers, what we're saying is simply that every human has an innate right to life. And one of the reasons why that right must be protected, especially as it concerns baby, babies in the womb, is that babies deserve a chance. They deserve a chance to live, and to grow, and to make choices, and to become the kind of person that they're going to be. Dobbins was given that chance, took that chance, and that that was granted to him, and he became one of the best college athletes in the country. It it would have been a tragedy for him to have been deprived of that chance. It would have been a tragedy, and also just incorrect, as it turns out, to assume that he'll amount to nothing, and that his life will be a pointless waste, because he was born in less than ideal circumstances. You, you can't close the book on a whole human life when you haven't even read a page yet. That, that's obviously a mistake. So this is all about potential. Unborn children are full of potential. They are not potential people. They are people with potential, as the pro-life slogan goes. But I'm almost tempted to say that the distinction doesn't matter. Um, you know, uh, fine. Go ahead and call them potential people. They aren't. So I'm not seeding that argument at all. They aren't potential people. They are. They are people with potential. That's certainly my position. But for the sake of argument, I, I'm I'm almost tempted to say, fine. What difference does it make? Uh, it, it's just a potential person. Well, what do you mean, just? That's a potential person right? Every, every great athlete, every great leader, every scientist, doctor, poet, humanitarian, civil rights uh, crusader, and so on, all of these people were at one point, quote-unquote, fetuses. Before they, they did those great things, before they made something of themselves, they had only the potential for them, unrealized potential. If you want to say that they were potential rather than they had potential, I don't see how that changes anything. Now, the poverty of the pro-abortion side is in saying that all of that potential doesn't mean anything. Or it doesn't count. Or it shouldn't be weighed. It amounts to nothing. Like, we shouldn't even take it into consideration. The poverty is in seeing this life with potential, and yet considering it to neither to be neither life nor potential. Considering, considering it only a burden. Or or a parasite, Um, a problem to be solved. That's how the pro abortion side would look at somebody like J.K. Dobbins. They would say that in the womb, he was a problem to be solved, not a person, and certainly not a person with this incredible potential to do extraordinary things. It's such an empty and bleak and superficial view of human life so i'm glad that we have a guy like dobbins um, around to to demonstrate that the the analogy that i've made before in a lot of the talks that i give on pro-life issues maybe i've made this analogy on the show before i don't know probably have Um, it's not a it's not a perfect analogy by any stretch but imagine for a moment, we talk about potential, right? Well, imagine for a moment that you had a winning lottery ticket for $50 million and you hadn't cashed it in yet. So you have the $50 million lottery ticket. You just watched the, the, the drawing on the news. You found out that you won. And so you know that this is going to be $50 million, but it's not yet. Right now it is the potential for $50 million. Uh, But what if on the way to the lottery office to cash in that ticket, which, again, it's just the potential for $50 million. It's not $50 million yet. What if on the way I were to run up and grab that ticket from you and destroy it? Let's say I ate it right in front of you for no reason because I'm insane. How would you react? Would you react as though you just lost a receipt paper, which is technically all it was? Or would you react as though you just lost $50 million? If you, if you, now that I've taken that ticket from you and destroyed it, what do I owe you? Do I owe you a receipt paper? Like, can I just grab a crumpled up Rite Aid receipt from my pocket and give it to you and fair is fair? Or even? Or would you say I now owe you $50 million? Well, we all know the answer to that question. Because my point is, when it comes to something like money and a lottery ticket, you would see no distinction between the potential for $50 million and $50 million. It would do no good for me to try to do this reductive, absurd, materialistic thing with with the lottery ticket, which is, after all, just material, and for me to say, ah, technically, it's just potential. Because in your mind, you would say, so same, what difference does that make? It's basically the same thing. And so, if we can make that calculation when it comes to a lottery ticket, why can't we do it with a life, a human life? So my point is this: this, this argument about is it a potential person or or an actual person? Maybe what? Either way. I mean, even if you could, even if you could demonstrate, um, which you can't. Because the unborn child is a human person. I emphasize that again for the 10th time. But, sake of argument, even if you could somehow demonstrate or prove or convince me that the unborn uh, human is, is not a person but is just a potential person, even if you could convince me of that, you still have not convinced me that it would be okay or moral or should be legal to kill that potential person. You see see what I'm saying? That on the pro-abortion side, you really have two uh, things you need to prove. Two very significant things you need to prove. First, you need to prove that the unborn child is not a person but a potential person, which you can't do. But even if you could, now you've got the next step You've really still got all your work in front of you because now you have to prove that it's therefore okay to kill that potential person. Because to me, they don't seem to logically follow. Just because you can prove something isn't a person doesn't mean you can kill it. In fact, we, we could all come up with examples of, of things, of, of living creatures that are not people, and yet we would say you shouldn't kill. Like, for example, uh, your neighbor's dog. Not a person. Not even a potential person. Yet, you would say, if you kill that non-person creature, you should go to jail. So the simple fact that something is not a person doesn't mean you can kill it. So you got you to prove that to me. I don't think you can. So you've got these two enormous logical leaps you need to make. One is that a person is not a person, but a potential person. And the other is that it's okay to kill it. I could spot you the first leap. I could say, go ahead, I'll give you that. It's not a person. Fine, I'll I'll let you pretend that. And now you're stranded out on an island because I'm not going to give you the next leap. And I don't think you can make that argument. This is how bad the pro-abortion argument is that you could even, I think it's a mistake to argue it on the pro-abortion terms, but you could even argue it on their terms and they would still lose. That's how bad their argument is. Okay. It's a potential, yeah, a potential, a potential person. Think about that. How extraordinary is that? All right. Um, what else we got here? Okay. And, uh, and then there's this watch. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs that turned, that, 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 that turned uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Yeah, I have, uh, I have nothing to add here, not much to elaborate on. Just Joe Biden telling a story about children rubbing his bleach blonde leg hair in the pool. I was traumatized by this image. And I thought it only fair for me to share the trauma around because I had to experience it. And now I want you to carry this burden. I want you to help me carry this cross. Um, The only thing I'll say about Joe Biden. I know the general feeling now is that Biden is really coming undone mentally. And if he's the guy in the general, he'll he'll get trounced by Trump. That's the feeling among many Republicans. And I see the logic of it, and it maybe is even true. He's an extremely weak candidate in more ways than one. So I, I could see how you would say, well, he's he's going to do very poorly. But I will caution one thing, one word of warning for any Republican or conservative who gets overconfident about it. It is possible that Biden's craziness is baked into the cake at this point. That's kind. Of, that's the feeling that I'm getting about him. And that, That's part of the reason why Trump is not harmed by a lot of the things that he does and says that would destroy any other politician or candidate. This is what's so frustrating for Democrats and has been for ever since he came on the scene. That he j- appears to be he appears to be impervious um, because it doesn't. He can say whatever he wants, and it, it, things that he says and does that would just be huge uh, be considered huge gaffes and 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 politically ruinous for other candidates it's not for him trump can get away with su- de- s- saying and doing all kinds of things because it's baked in and we kind of know well that's that's just trump being trump that's what he does and that's how he acts i mean over the weekend just as an example maybe you saw this trump tweeted a picture of himself his face photoshopped on the Body of uh, on the on, on Rocky Balboa's shirtless body, and no no comment or anything. Just the picture he tweeted, and uh, conservatives laughed about it and said, "Oh, that's our president being silly." But of course, and really, it's not a big deal. So uh, fine, I guess it's just funny. But of course, we all know, we all know without a doubt, that if Obama had tweeted a picture of himself. Photoshopped onto the shirtless body of a boxer, we would all be saying that he's lost his mind. He's an egomaniacal, crazy person who's unfit for office. That's what every conservative would be saying, without a doubt. There's no point in don't deny it. Don't try to deny it. We know it's true. Let, let's just be honest with each other here. There's a lot of that's just one example. There's a ton of stuff that Trump does and says that if if Obama were to have done or done or said that, we would we would still be uh, talking about it now, years later. But it's different with Trump somehow because we're just used to this stuff. And so it's 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 not the same thing, right? Uh, it's not. I mean, imagine if Nancy Pelosi tweeted a picture of her face photoshopped on the body of like a swimsuit model. Now that it, it would that would be more disturbing, I think, on a number of levels. But it, it would really technically be the same thing, right? Yet she could never get away with that. Um, But for Trump, it's baked in. For better or worse, it's baked in. Well, I wonder if if Biden won't benefit in a similar way. I wonder if he hasn't said enough crazy stuff at this point that people are just like, eh, you know, that's Biden for you. Yeah, it's creepy and weird. And I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but that's just Biden. I'm thinking that might be the case. I don't know. And a general election between these two will just i, I, I think we'll, at at the very least we'll, we'll all be entertained by it. If you can imagine, can you imagine a debate between Joe Biden and uh, and, and Donald Trump, two and a half hours of these two just going back and forth? I, who knows what what'll happen? By the end of it, one of them's going to be like yodeling. The other one's going to be doing the, who knows? One of them's going to be doing somersaults on the ground. I, it just, it's just going to be, it's going to, you can't even predict it. You have no idea. You follow both of these guys and their train of thought and just, you give them, and I, who knows where it's going. I think it'll be entertaining. Um, and, uh, and I, I wonder if, like I said, it, it kind of breaks all the rules of politics and Biden's got himself to a point where he can basically say whatever he wants. Because it's what everyone expects anyway, they're they're kind of uh, providing a blueprint, I guess for other politicians, because traditionally the idea is if you're a politician, you got to be completely buttoned up and you have to be completely scripted, and everything's got to be totally clean, and there can't be any skeletons that are well, you might have skeletons, but you can't let anyone see them. And uh, every answer you give has to be perfect and has to be very diplomatic and and calculated and considered. The other option is the way extreme end of that, the other the uh, the opposite end of that spectrum. and to just be nuts all the time. And then it's just who you are. So all right, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about this briefly. Article in the Daily Wire, um, headline, Angela Merkel says freedom of expression has its limits and must be regulated to keep society free. Reading a little bit from it, German Chancellor Angela Merkel spoke out uh, against free speech this week, suggesting the government can and should regulate what people say to keep society free. Merkel, speaking at an event for the German Chamber of Industry and Commerce in Berlin, stumbled up the stairs before taking the podium and suggesting the government ban speech she considers extreme and decrying freedom of expression. Um, She said, we have freedom of expression in our country for all those who claim they can no longer express their opinion. I say this to them, if you express a pronounced opinion, you must live with the fact that you will be contradicted. Expressing an opinion does not come at zero cost. Okay, so far, so good. You can be contradicted on your opinion. We can all agree with that, I think, right? But And this is where we go off the rails. Freedom of speech, uh, freedom of expression has its limits. Those limits begin, those limits begin where hatred is spread. They begin where the dignity of other people is violated. The House will and must oppose extreme speech. Otherwise, our society will no longer be the free society that it was. So then we descend very rapidly into uh, blatant Orwellian dystopian propaganda where, uh, the way to have a free society is to restrict freedom. And that's what she's talking about here. And I think what we take from this, well, a couple of things. Number one, the idea that uh, another person's dignity can be violated because of something that's said to them or about them. Um, that's, that's not how it works. Now. You could violate your own dignity by the things that you say and the way you conduct yourself. That's true. But my, my, see, that's the thing. My dignity, whatever little bit of it I have, it's still intact, cannot be affected by anything you say to me or about me. You cannot do anything to my dignity. That's something that it can only go away if I willingly forfeit it. Sacrifice it. Other than that, you can't do anything to it. Now, you can, in a sense, violate my dignity, but but this is the irony. You know, the way that the government can violate my dignity as a human being is to take away my freedoms and my liberty. Now, I will still, I will still have that dignity because it's inherent to me as a person, but you can, in a sense, violate it by not acknowledging the fact that I am meant to be free as a human being. I have an inherent right to that. But certainly there's nothing you could say. There's no opinion you could express where where all of a sudden my dignity has been violated. And then she she talks about hatred. And and this is the problem uh, with, with... We take this word hatred and the way that we use it these days just this blanket thing. Uh, and, and it really, really the idea that even, well, I mean, starting with the idea that hatred in and of itself is automatically terrible. I mean, doesn't it depend? You say, well, those limits, uh, the, you have limits on speech as soon as you start spreading hatred. Well, doesn't it at least matter what you're spreading hatred of? What if I'm spreading hatred of oppression? What if I'm spreading hatred of, of greed? What if it's hatred of, you know, of rape and murder? And it, is it okay to hate those things? Well, of course it is. But we can't acknowledge that because that gets in the way this, of this oversimplified dichotomy we have that hatred bad. Well, no, that's just not the case. There are things that we as human beings should absolutely hate. And that's a, if, if you want to put it this way, that's a hatred that should be spread. We should hate hateful things. We should hate bad things, evil things. But even if, uh, even if someone is expressing hatred, an inappropriate hatred, an immoral hatred, you know, hatred of another person, of a group of people, well, that's not good. But why shouldn't they have the right to say that? And don't we all want to know? That's another one of the ironies of the people that want to restrict free speech because they're afraid of the so-called hateful bigots that are going to use free speech to spread their bigotry. Well, uh, even leaving aside the issues of free speech and the First Amendment, which of course doesn't apply in Germany, but at least in this country it does, but even leaving that aside, you're kind of undercutting your own agenda in a way. Because if there are there are actual hateful bigots out there in in the in the country, in the world, don't you want to know who they are? Isn't it better to know that? If that's who they are, don't you want them? Because otherwise you're just sending them into hiding. They still exist. But now you don't know it. This is what I always say about the issue of of the rights of business owners. And I've always been very consistent that Christian business owners should have the right to run their businesses as they see fit. And if they don't want to be involved in, say, a gay wedding, they should have that right. And the response is always, well, if we give this right to business owners uh, with respect to gay marriages and, and so on, then, then what if you have a racist business owner that says he doesn't want to be involved in the in a, in a, the wedding of a of a, of a black couple or of a a mixed couple. Um, and the first response to that is that these are, those are not analogous things. So it is possible to protect the right of a Christian, Christian business owner to run his business according to his religious beliefs without also allowing businesses to discriminate based on race. It is possible to draw that line of distinction. And in fact, we had done that for many decades in this country. So it's, a, it's an invalid argument already. But my personal opinion is, yeah, let peop, let, let, a business owner should have the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason. That's the way I look at it. They have that right. It's their business. It's their property. It's their good, their service. They can't be conscripted into service for someone. They should have the right. This is freedom of association. Uh, and also, if there is a business owner out there who is so racist, such a bigot, that he would, he's willing to advertise that fact and put it out there and say, well, we're not going to serve this or that race, let him do it, right? Don't you want to know? If you, if you have a business owner like that in your community— um, and, and you're going to that place and you're supporting this person, that, wouldn't you prefer if they just announce it and make that clear so you could stop supporting them? Wouldn't, don't you want to know that? So a business owner comes out and says, oh, we're not going to serve black people, let's say. They're going to be out of business by tomorrow because the, the market's not going not to support that. So they announce it. They're punished by the market. Problem solved. Um, and you could say the same thing when it comes to free speech. Even aside, and we don't really need to get into this because the rights should speak for themselves, but even aside from that, if somebody wants to advertise their hate or bigotry or whatever, let them do it. And then we all know. And you could decide how or if you want to associate with that person. That's how freedom works. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So Friday was just... Insane. Uh, If you didn't catch it, we put together a Black Friday promotion where all of our plans over dailywire.com were 50% off and and we learned something and that is that you all really like coupons and who doesn't Because, because we all like coupons. More of you became subscribers on Friday in a single day than in any given month in the history of The Daily Wire. That's how successful this was. But then Saturday came along and our customer support team, they were very busy. God bless them. A lot of you missed the, the, the deal on Friday and wanted it to, wanted it to still be honored. Uh, lots of current subscribers were confused about whether or not it worked on upgrades and, and all of this kind of stuff. So we're bringing it back. That's right. One more day of this magnificent promotion. When you become a subscriber to dailywire.com today, today you'll get 50% off when you use the promo code DW50. So we're bringing this back again. dw fifty. 50% off. As an insider, uh, you'll get access to our live shows. You get two extra hours of Ben every day alongside many other things. When you're an insider plus, you get all of that and the glorious leftist tiers tumbler, which you can see behind me. With our uh, new tier of all access, you get to chat with me and the rest of the team here at The Daily Wire. We do these chats all the time. They're a lot of fun. And so you're missing out if you don't get a chance to do that. And to clarify for current subscribers, you can use this for upgrades as well. So what are you waiting for? Get over to dailywire.com. Dailywire.com right now. Use promo code DW50 before time runs out. We're not running any of that Cyber Tuesday nonsense. Okay, so this is, this is really it right now. You got to go right now. This is your last chance. That's DW50, dailywire.com. Okay, finally, um, before we wrap up, I wanted to mention this. A tweet from the uh, Twitter account History Lovers Club. Here it is. I'll show it to you. This was the tweet a couple days ago. It says, Fathers were not allowed in the delivery room until Jay and Margie Hathaway found a doctor that allowed Jay to be present for the birth of their son, James, in 1965. The couple went on to found the American Academy of Husband-coached childbirth. I saw this tweet the other day, and I just wanted to say, Jay, Congratulations and thank you, you jerk. We we had a good thing going, Jay. We men did, I mean. The wives took care of the childbirth. Men went to the smoking room, had some scotch or bourbon, smoked a cigar, waited for all the drama to be over. You know, we were called in once it was all done, everything's done, finished, cleaned up. We come in, we say hi to the baby, give the mom a high five, nicely done. Go back, finish the cigar check back in with the baby once it turns, you know, 16 years old or something. It was a sweet deal, Jay. And, and, and you, you ruined it. And now we have to be in the room the whole time on that little chair slash prison cot thing they give the dads. And if you're there overnight, they give you like an old newspaper as a blanket that you're curled up with, a sack of quarters for a pillow. The nurse comes in every five and a half seconds for some reason during the night, is super loud for no reason. Okay, I'm here to take everyone's blood pressure. She's banging pots and pans, waking everybody up on purpose. I've been through this now with all four kids. And every time, this is why this tweet jumped out at me. Every time I've been through this, I, I always think, and every man thinks this. So listen, I tell you right now, if you're, if you're a woman, you're watching, you're scandalized by what I'm saying, and you think, no, my husband, he wanted to be there. I'm telling you, every man has had this thought, every single one. Don't let your husband lie to you. Sorry, fellas, I got I to gotta reveal this is just the truth. We all think this, we all think, man, if I was only born 70 years ago, I could be in the smoking room right now, you know, but we never knew who to blame for this change. And now we know it was Jay, Jay, you suck up. I'm just kidding. Of course, Uh, there's no place I'd rather be than in that room, getting to see my beloved children take their first breaths. I mean, no whiskey. No whiskey could be better than that. Except maybe a Pappy 23, but that's cream of the crop. You know, so. I'm kidding, again. Sort of. But not really. Um, And we'll leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay, supervising producer Mathis Glover, supervising producer Robert Sterling, technical producer Austin Stevens, editor Donovan Fowler, audio mixer Mike Coromina. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. As I spent a joyous Thanksgiving with my family, I couldn't help reflecting on just how much the left hates Western civilization. I mean, they hate it so much, so, so much. They hate it, and they want to run it. So we'll take a look at the stupid stuff left to say on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.